And welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spies. We are live here at the Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners booth at the Shale Energy Resources trade show and conference happening here in Midland at the Horseshoe Pavilion. I have got Ron Gusick with me, the president of Liberty Oilfield Services. How are you doing today, sir? Doing very well, thanks. How are you this morning, Jason? Oh, pretty good. Oh, you've got good levels on your mic. All right, never mind. You don't need to get as close as I thought. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming out here. How'd the trip end? Did you fly okay? Yeah, trip wasn't too bad. You know, unfortunately, it's thunderstorm season, so uh, yeah, a few, few minor delays, but at the end of the day, got where I needed to get. So, so in the in the same day... I'm going to start off with a hard question first before we get to the easy ones, because I I wasn't sure how to ask you about this, and it had to do with your CEO and his campaign against North Face, and as much as I love it, I had to take a step back and think, okay, what's the end goal here? Where are we going with this? Well, lo and behold, I see Fox News picked it up now, so it's working. And um, I was a little bit skeptical at first because I thought, okay, how how are we going to get past North Face not returning calls on this. Well, now we know how. We just keep going till the national media picks it up, and then more and more will pick it up, and more and more will pick it up. So I want to say, great job. I w- again, I, I got it be mad at myself here for a little bit of having some skepticism. So, but I, I do appreciate <laughs> it. So, uh, talk to me a little bit about the campaign how it came to light, where it's going. Were you, I mean, are you familiar with it? I assume you are. Absolutely. You're Absolutely. not the lead on it, so mm-hmm. I'm not trying to, you know, usurp the C, the president or anything like that. So go ahead. No, I, uh, you know, I think for us, just been a continued frustration around a lack of appreciation for what oil and gas does in our world. And, uh, you know, we pound the drum every day on energy poverty and issues like that. But here we had a situation late last year where a company whose entire business is is based on oil and gas, in fact, wouldn't exist without oil and gas, refusing to sell one of our our uh, peers in the space jackets for uh, for their employees, and and that just didn't sit well with us. And we we continue to hear this message over and over and over again that we are, you know, we're we're against oil and gas and all that they stand for and all that they're doing in our country. And, and a complete lack of recognition around just how much of our lives revolves around oil and gas. Like, you don't have to go back that far in the in history to find out uh, to find a world where we live very differently. And you know, 150 years, worlds worlds transformed, and that's in no small part due to oil and gas. And and you know, I think the industry has been maybe a, a little bit guilty of sticking our heads in the sand. Well, how about a lot guilty about sticking our heads in the sand and not willing to stand up and 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 say what's right. And, and, you know, I think for us, we've gotten to a point where we have got to be out telling the, the message that people need to hear. And, and I don't think it's being done any other way. And so, we're, you know, we at Liberty are certainly taking some ownership around that. And that'll have a few prongs to it. But one of these was this, was this North Face situation. We are, we are avid outdoors people at Liberty. Chris, as you would have heard on the video, is an avid climber, avid skier, avid cyclist, runner. Uh, I, I am no different. I spend a lot of time in the outdoors. But, but recognize that that all happens by virtue of the great gear that I can buy, all of which is made from oil and gas. And so, uh, you know, that was an opportunity for us to put a message out there that just said, look, uh, this isn't this isn't right. And and fortunately, it has gained a lot of traction. They, we're, we're getting feedback from around the world on it now. I, I got a I got a note on LinkedIn from Australia this morning, uh, somebody who'd watched it and said, thanks very much for for doing that, for standing up for for what's right. 
and uh, and I think that's you know that's certainly true for the inbox at Liberty and and Chris is. Uh, yeah, we've got some real traction here, and I, I guess our hope at the end of the day is that it sparks an honest conversation. It, you know, we're, we're, we're not in this for the publicity, so to speak, but, but we are invested in what we do, and we believe we do it for a great reason. But I, I think we're of the opinion that there hasn't been a fair and reasonable conversation around oil and gas and its importance going forward. And so it's certainly our hope that this sparks that conversation, that it, it's an avenue for folks to sit down and have a fact-based, real conversation about the role oil and gas plays and, and the role that it'll play for decades to come yet. Well, now would be the time for us to mention all month long. It's our PSA, our Planet Service Announcement, that oil and water do mix. We're highlighting all the different ways that oil and water do mix. I'm an avid paddleboarder, uh-huh. and without pad- without oil and oil and gas, I couldn't paddleboard, and I know that. I'd probably have had to find some wooden plank to stand on, you know. And but anyway, that's a different day for a different story. Uh, Bulwark, they're a subsidiary of I mean, VF. Of the which VF is Corporation, yeah. VF Corporation, which is the owner of uh, North Face. It was interesting because when I was up at the Williston Basin Conference, there was about a dozen people walking around with North Face jackets on, and I'd say to him, um, "Anybody give any weird looks?" He's like, "They're like, yeah." And that's what I'm like. Okay, next time I have Mr. Gusick on, I'm going to ask him where are we going with this because we need the message to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it is snowballing. It is starting to get bigger, and I'm really happy to hear that. Bulwark, what, what are they saying about this? Have you heard from North Face? All I've seen is no comment. I, and, and to my knowledge, that's that's where we stand today. Okay. I, I I don't think uh, there's been any conversation between Chris and the CEO at uh, at VF. I that, I think that would certainly be our hope. Would be that there would be a conversation around that and a path forward that saw some alignment. But but uh, thus far, I think crickets. Well. Keep it up. Keep it up. If there's anything we can do here to help out that uh, conversation, let us know. You know, we, we we try to stay out of some polarizing stuff and the political stuff, but at the same time, you do need to push the envelope to get awareness out, and we're starting to push the envelope a little bit more, too, now, so... Um, it's time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so, and but I think there's a way to be reasonable about yeah, that. I mean, yeah. I don't think we have to be uh, we don't have to be over the top about this. We don't have to, uh, you know, we don't have to get ourselves in a position where we're just viewed as conceited or arrogant or something like that. You know, this was a little bit of a fun way to make what I think is a very fact-based statement. Yeah. There's, there's nothing misleading in the in the video. There's, uh, um, you, you know, we're not uh, we're not making an argument that's not backed up by by fact or or reality uh, but you have to make it in a little bit of an edgy manner to to get to get some attention and so we gotta yeah we gotta push that limit a little bit without becoming uh, you know without without getting to a place where the message gets lost so where can we get the video where can we find the video you'll find the video on uh, you'll certainly find a link to it on liberty's website okay but, uh, so www.libertyfrac.com and uh, but on chris's youtube channel my guess is if you google chris wright North Face, okay. that'll be the first thing that shows up. Well, we'll definitely make sure we got the links available at our website as well, so you can access it through there. But Liberty Frack might want to check there for our next topic, which we're going to talk about as we transition out of North Face, because we could spend all day talking <laughs> about... Well, hypocrisy is such an easy thing to talk about, you know? And so that's why I was saying, where's the end goal on this? Because 
sometimes we do get caught up with just the conversation and, and not move it forward. We, before you, we had on Midland Mayor Patrick Payton, and he was set, talking about the reporters he's dealing with. He got asked by a reporter, how do you feel about being the mayor of the town killing polar bears? A reporter asked him that. Okay, and what was the other one? He said something about how do you feel being in charge of the town that's decimating the planet? These are reporters asking this stuff. So that's why we're trying to go back to even more of our old school journalism ways because there's no better story than the truth. And honestly, for the most part, like agriculture, the oil and gas industry has done a lot more good than bad when it comes to making the human way a lot better. I really do believe that. I, I, I think no question. I, you know, the, the amount of land that we use now to uh, to feed the population is is shrinking dramatically. That, that means forests get to grow again. And that's happened because of fertilizer and uh, and yeah. uh, mechanism. So yield per yield per acre is up dramatically since uh, um, you know since we've had these advancements and and that's that's good for the environment that's not bad for the environment and, and so i think you line up fact after fact after fact and unfortunately i think we have a lot of emotion based reporting that that is not grounded in fact at all uh, that that leads to these questions that the mayor is having to deal with and 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 unfortunately that's the perception that much of humanity gets and that's just wrong and so it's very oh go ahead Simon. i was going to say so you know appreciate what you're doing and and others are doing to get back to uh, uh, facts and reality and 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 uh, what that looks like well it's really difficult to you know talk facts with somebody when they're looking to feel it's very difficult and the environment is uh, is is really dangerous and i've been saying this for five years now five years we've been saying this on the crude life is that when we were talking about the environment is a very inviting to people because they can just walk outside and be connected with it and the oil and gas industry needs to connect in the same way the environment has been connecting because 96% of what we use on a daily basis from our toothpaste to our toothbrush to the car that drove us to the store to get it, you need petroleum products. So it is very much like the environment and they can coexist so well. In fact, I, I truly believe that the industry will make the environment better. And one example I have not heard because I don't know how to tackle this. Did you know 90% of the oil found in the ocean is because of seepage? Yeah, absolutely. So what would happen if we didn't extract that out of there? It would just seep in the ocean? Uh, and, and uh, you know, I think that, that's obviously been going on for millennia. That's and what we'll I'm talking about. continue to go on for millennia. But, yeah, you can drive to California and you can, uh, I mean, you can see oil seeping out of the ground and literally running down a creek bed. Uh, I mean, it happens. The 150 years ago, a little more than that, when we started using oil, that's where it came from, was oil seeping out of the, mm-hmm. seeping out of the ground. And uh, that, jet, that was jet the first Jet oil, they called it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, when people think about the oceans, I don't think they realize that, that if we didn't go down there and extract that out of there, that's, it would just seep in and it would do more damage than what people are saying is being done now. So those are just some things that, you know, it's very difficult when you're living in the planet of platitudes to come down to the realm of reality. It's really hard because the planet of platitudes is so much more fun. You don't have any worries, man. It's just great. So let's talk about the electric frack. That started out as the planet of platitudes, I'm sure, at some point in some board meeting or some cocktail napkin at a restaurant or something yeah. like that. Let's let's hear the story. How did it start? Where are we at? And when are we going to see the first frack? Have, it, have we? Yeah. So, uh, if I, I mean, electric, electric frack fleets have been on 
our radar screen for years and years and years. Obviously, there's been a couple of incumbents that have been in the field for uh, some amount of time now running uh, those types of assets. For us, you know, I think there are, there are lots of things we want to be a first mover in. And then there are some things that I think we... Uh, we want to be a, a, a faster follower in, let's say, where we see there's there's probably a dramatic <laughs> enough change that there's opportunity to learn from those who go first Yep. Uh, to find those things that we could do a little bit better and ultimately put a better uh, a better product in the field. So electric frack was one of those was one of those scenarios. We had a long laundry list of goals we wanted to achieve, let's say. So, you know, if you think about the the hardworking guys and, and gals out in the field at the tip of the spear there that uh, that are running our frack fleets today, the goal can, has to be to not make life uh, more difficult for them. And, and, and certainly needs to be, when we put this product in the field, needs to deliver a better end result for our customers. And if we don't feel we can achieve that, if we think we're going to take a step backwards in either of those areas, then it's not time to put that asset out there. But I think we're comfortable now. We can get to a place where the asset we put in the field is as, as good for the team that we have out there to run and probably better from a maintenance standpoint and operation standpoint, rig up and rig down standpoint, uh, but also is going to deliver a, a great end result for the, for the customer. And so today we have uh, our generation one pump out in the field. It's, it's working here in the Permian right now alongside one of our traditional frack fleets uh, pumping away and has been doing that for a uh, better part of a week now, maybe, uh, yeah, better part of a week now, I guess. Our generation two version of that is in the yard in, in Houston going through its durability testing. Uh, and it'll carry on uh, doing that into early Q3, at which point in time it'll head out to the field. And so for us, that probably leads to commercial deployment of a, of a full fleet by uh, late Q2 next year, maybe early Q3, give or take a little bit. Okay. Okay. Well, I can't wait to track this process to see how it's going. Is this a, a natural gas electric frack? It will be. So, you know, the, the incumbent players that are out there today have traditionally chosen a gas turbine to run a frack fleet. We struggled with that a lot for a couple of reasons. A, we didn't feel it delivered the emissions footprint that uh, uh, that we were looking for on location. B, uh, from a mobilization standpoint, we had some real concerns. The the typical uh, turbine that's used sits on a on a pretty long trailer. I think 75 or 80 feet long, weighs about 180,000 pounds. It's wow. a big unit to move around, and uh, and so for us, we were looking for something as nimble and mobile as. Uh, as our frack pumps are today, but, uh, and also delivered a great emissions footprint. And so we've settled on natural gas resip engines uh, paired with a gen set to actually power our frack fleet. So that'll be a 20 cylinder natural gas engine. Uh, and there are a number of players in the space that make them Caterpillar, MTU, uh, a couple of the big names in that world. And um, what that allows us is, a, I, I think, a solution that is A, very capital efficient in terms of the size of the asset we deploy to location. B delivers a great emissions footprint. C for our mechanics doesn't look hugely different than the engine they work on today. Uh, and um, you know, I think for for us, just ended up being a, a a much much better path to an electric frack fleet. Uh, so it'll look a lot different than what's out there today. Did, did you? Um, you don't have to get too specific because I don't want to splice this hair anymore. But. Uh, was there any pushback on the natural gas side of things, you know, because how oil and gas are just being lumped into each other? I don't think the average person understands that natural gas ain't going anywhere. It's a foundation fuel, not a bridge fuel. Right. And so I, kudos by choosing this path because from a 5,000-foot view, it's, it's the only way to go. But down in the weeds, 
Is there anybody on the day-to-day that's saying, oh, don't do that, natural gas is going away with oil? Uh, not certainly not in the in the world where we're talking about okay, electric good. track. Of course, <laughs> you know out there on the periphery that's probably true. But it, it, as you as you think about natural gas as a fuel out in the field, um, in many places that we work, it's readily available right there. Right. Uh, maybe with a little bit of processing, but you can effectively take gas produced from a wellhead, knock the liquids out of it, and feed it as a fuel into this engine. And so, when you think about the economics of a of a completion, that can be a needle mover. Those those big frack pumps burn a lot of diesel fuel, oh, yeah. uh, a lot of a lot of fuel regardless of the source of it. But you know, of course, with price of oil climbing, so too is the price of, of gas and diesel, and and so you have this uh, meaningful opportunity for cost savings by virtue of consuming natural gas right from the field versus having to truck diesel out there to run a frack pump. Uh, and so there's a there's a meaningful economic advantage there that that comes along with consuming natural gas uh, from the from the field. And, and that's important to customers today. Of course, you know, things look pretty rosy right now. We Oil closed above $70, I think, yesterday. Okay. And, and so, you know, it's not, a, it's not the challenging times of $20 or $30 oil. But regardless, we have, to, we have to continue to put ourselves in a position where, as an industry, we can be successful through the ups and downs. And, and that means continuing to find ways to do business more economically. Consuming natural gas in the field is is one of those paths, but the other benefit, of course, is uh, is an ESG benefit uh, that's being talked about a huge amount today. And while I don't think oil and gas are going anywhere, uh, you know, I do believe it's incumbent upon us as an industry to continue to get better in that regard, mm-hmm. to find ways to produce a molecule of, of of hydrocarbon with less and less impact to the people are, that are in that area or around there. And natural gas is a path to that as well. It, it, uh, it's it's just. It's just a cleaner fuel than diesel is. We'll talk about the ESG report in just a second, and we'll revisit that comment. But I did want to ask you about wet gas, dry gas. Uh, very simplistic here. Bakken has wet gas. A lot of the Permian, I guess, is dry gas. Uh, does that play into anything? Is there certain places you can't go into or places that are better? Just talk about the different gases and how that plays into your electric frack. Yeah, it, uh, good question. And it, and it definitely does impact how you think about putting an electric frack fleet on location. Um, if you went to some place like the Haynesville, dry gas coming right out of the well there, that stuff can basically go into an engine untreated. Uh, you, <laughs> you can basically burn it right out of the ground. It's like the Bakken with the sweet crude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you put it right into a diesel and it you, goes. <laughs> uh, but you get to some place where, yeah. to your point, the gas is 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 full of liquids. Uh, you know, that, uh, it, it, at least in our world, requires a little bit of, uh, of treatment to manage. And so we... Uh, we have to think about that a little differently, but it's but it's quite straightforward. Basically, it means uh, a gas treatment skid on location that uh, that knocks the liquids out. It, it, those are those are, there's a great market for those anyway, so those are readily saleable, and then we can consume the uh, gas product that comes from that. Okay, uh, ESG. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, let's. I, I wrote down because I didn't want to forget, and this is something I've been talking about for a while. You guys just came out with your first report, so I'm going to be curious to see what your reaction is on this. That's why I love having guys like you on because we you know we don't prep ahead of time; we just go from the hip. Uh, ESG. I, I believe this is something the industry can get a handle on. I believe that if they get a hold of the narrative now like when Kevin Kramer said the day after Trump didn't when when Biden was uh, elected or whatever Kevin Kramer same out came out and said okay now let's join the Paris Accord and tell them the way the world works instead of reacting you know so that was an attempt to grab a hold of the narrative so I believe that's where we're at with the ESG because here's why I think the G is going to be very hard for the oil and gas 
uh, industry because of PTSD. I believe there's a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder against the oil and gas industry the same way a restaurant owner has got PTSD against bad service. You do one thing wrong, it takes out a hundred rights, okay? You have a hundred great meals and you do one bad one, and all of a sudden they're going and telling everybody about the bad meal, but it takes a hundred meals to go tell three people, right? A lot of that was with oil and gas, too. I mean, people are still citing Exxon and BP. Those were decades ago, man. Those were decades ago. Imagine all the good that's come here since then. So I, I do think it eventually will be fine, that whole transparency and the ESG thing. I know Whiting was trying to get an early adapter on that. Ashley McNamee, she's now with uh, Wilson and Alvarez, or Marshall and Alvarez. Uh, they're tackling that. But I do think this will come to fruition. I think the uh, S is easy. That's the social part. Uh, that's that's just sharing some time, you know. That's like at the Bakken barbecue. We're turning it into a social thing where we're saying, okay, well, barbecues are inherently discriminatory against vegetarians. We're going to offer potatoes. It's a great thing to put your meat on. It's a great thing to put your barbecue on. doesn't mean you have to, but now the vegetarians don't feel like they're slighted against. But we had uh, Mayor Patrick Payton on he took it a step further and said he believes that that's true with women, that a lot of women are having a hard time making their way coming up through a very male-dominated industry through the year. He called it chauvinism, okay? So that we're doing also at the Bakken Barbecue, we're going to have Miss Teen, North Dakota, who just handed off her crown, 2020. She's going to get up on stage and talk about how important mental health is. She's from Watford City. Mm -hmm. So there's an S example, again, using the platform that oil and gas has created, these trade shows, these barbecues, to allow these social groups to come up and at least speak their mind, okay? The E is done. What you're doing, environmental. What we've done at reclamation sites, environmental. That's the irony in this whole thing is that, like, it almost is like the the opposition is coming at the industry saying, you guys are not environmentally friendly. No, actually, we're extremely environmentally friendly, like the way hunters are when it comes to conservation. It's kind of backwards. Are you following me on this at all a little bit? Okay, I, I want to know what you think about my whole ESG, uh, how industry is going to tackle it now that you guys have done your first report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great question. And, and, and I, Very and I long think you made one. some great points. Uh, you know, from a social standpoint, I, I think our industry is tremendous. I, the yeah. amount of good we do in the communities we work in, I, I, I think we could hold ourselves up against anybody. I, I do not know a person in this industry who is not committed to the well-being of their community and trying to do things to, to, to help change that community for the better. And, Agreed. And the, the, the list of causes, if you, you know, if you were to walk around this show and ask uh, every one of these companies, I suspect the list of causes would be long that they support. Without a and, doubt. And so I, I agree 100%. I think our industry is always been all in on that we do a great job of it we maybe don't talk about it too much but uh, that's where I'd like to interject just one second and then I'll, I'll let you go to the next letter we had this problem in journalism I've interviewed some of the top minds in the world okay and I don't get a picture with them okay like I, I don't do that well now a lot of people that I interview that are under the age of 40 they just want the selfie they don't want the interview right and so I'm like okay this is new to me so I Again, I, this is my post-traumatic stress disorder in the same way the oil and gas industry has a hard time bragging. Some of us just like to hand the ball off to the ref and act like we've scored a touchdown before. Not everybody likes to brag and, you know, do a dance. 
but it almost seems like we got to do a little bit of that dance now. You know what I mean by that? Right. So anyway, that's kind of my analogy, just to let the oil and gas industry know. In the media, we've we've had to deal with this too. That unfortunately, part of our business now is my picture with Ron Gusick at the Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners. This is branding and image control. So uh, that's all. That's all my message is there. So if you want to take the next one, which is G. Yeah, so from a governance standpoint, yeah. you know, I, I, I also think the industry, I, I do think the industry had some work to do there. You know, I don't think we had uh, great alignment necessarily between how we, uh, uh, how a leadership team, for example, was incentivized versus what the investment community would have had. But we've seen a real shift in that over the last couple of years. I think we've we've had a recognition uh, amongst companies that, uh, that we need to think about these things differently. Oil and gas has not been a tremendously investable space of late. In fact, you hear a lot of people talking about encouraging yanking money out of oil and gas, and and we've got to do different uh, in that regard. And I think there's been, you know, there used to be a growth for growth's sake mentality, uh, maybe without consideration for the returns that came as a result of that. But but um, but you've seen that change in the last couple of years. We've seen businesses now living inside of cash flow, uh, making sure that they generate a return to the shareholders. That uh, the leadership team, their their compensation is aligned with the shareholders, and so I think from a governance standpoint, uh, we've we've really started to move the needle there. Uh, it's something we've been quite proud of at Liberty since the day we started, and so it's a it's an important aspect of the report we touch on. But but. Um, uh, and, and it's an important piece of our world for sure. But in the report, of course, we saved the biggest letter for last, which is, which is E, mm-hmm. and uh, and that takes up. You know, if you if you look at our report, it's 84 pages long. I think uh, the E section takes up takes up probably three quarters of that. Is and, is that? Can I ask you? Is it things you have done, or things you're gonna do, or both? It's 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 a little bit of that, but maybe more importantly than that, it's the things that the industry has done okay it's the, it's the things that oil and gas have done to change the world and so what our concern with ESG reports had been at least in the oil and gas space up to this point in time is that they were exactly that they were they were this um, they were this idea of, of just trying to to check some boxes and say these are all the things we've done to get a little bit better but that's only that's only a small part of the conversation when we think about e I, you know, I think the conversation had to be much, much bigger than that. At least that's how we felt at Liberty. And so when you look at our report, what you're going to find is that the first half of that report is a broad conversation on energy and, and the role it plays in the world. Because I don't think you can have a conversation about the other part of this without understanding that broader context first. Energy is what lifted us out of poverty. It's what's changed our lives to allow us to have vacation time, um, to uh, to live in the houses that we do, to uh, to drive the cars that we do. I, I mean, that is all brought about as a result of of access to cost effective, cost effective, reliable energy. Uh, and there's a lot of the world that doesn't enjoy that privilege yet today. And so this idea that we can talk about the impacts of of producing oil and gas without talking about the benefits of them just didn't make any sense to us. And so we wrote a much broader report than that that I hope provides a a framework for how other people will think about an ESG report going forward, which is first we talk about the big picture, the broader context in which energy uh, plays in, in the world, and then with a recognition after going through all of that that we can't live without oil and gas, not for many, many decades to come, uh, 
that it's incumbent upon us as an industry to produce those molecules as cleanly as possible. And here are the things we are doing to achieve that, to continue to move forward as, as an industry and, and as Liberty to, uh, to get better and better at that. That's the biggest part of the report. I, speed limits are a great example. If, you know, if, if we only looked at the negatives, the consequences of driving, of, of having speed limits of 65 or 75 miles an hour, you would decide very, very quickly that we should we should never allow cars to go more than five miles an hour. You could get rid of every accident that ever happened if we only let cars go five miles an hour. But there would be a massive economic trade-off to that, uh, and a massive trade-off in in our freedom and ability to go see the world. Uh, you, you just you can't do anything if you can only go places at five miles an hour. And so, you know, we have these people who choose to set the speed limits with a consideration for the pros and the cons. And we recognize there will be a cost, accidents, uh, insurance costs and things like that by virtue of having speed limits that high. But that's, an, you know, that's a situation where we evaluated one side and the other side of the coin and arrived at the right decision. And I don't think that narrative has happened in oil and gas today. We have, a, we, we have people out there who are only viewing one side of the coin. They are only looking at the consequences of uh, negative consequences of oil and gas production without considering the huge amount of benefit and the huge amount of work we yet have to do in this world. And so we wrote our ESG report with that goal in mind to provide that whole context, both sides of the coin, so to speak, uh, that we hope leads to a very, very clear con conclusion around the importance of uh, our industry. Without getting in trouble, um, why, why did you guys do it? Why, why did you write it? Was it, um, was it investors? Was it banks? Was it just, hey, this is the thing to do? I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons, but um, you know, some people are still saying, no, we're not, we're not moving ahead with this. And I saw Crestwood, they're bragging about three, four years of ESG now. And so it's, everybody's got their own story, so to speak. And um, what was yours, I guess? You know, what was finally made you guys do it? I, I think it was it, it was a it was a level of frustration with a, I, I, I think an unwillingness or or certainly uh, maybe not an unwillingness but the fact that it just sin, simply hadn't happened uh, nobody taking the lead on on this conversation that we felt needed to take place we have you know we have a billion people in the world who lack access to electricity today another billion people who are uh, who only have intermittent access to electricity. We have 10% of the world still living in extreme poverty today. That's just not okay. And and that we are okay as a, as, as a society sitting here in our country, enjoying the life that we live, and, and, and putting in place policy decisions uh, or, or uh, demonstrating for a path forward that doesn't allow those people access to the same lifestyle that we lead today just doesn't sit okay inside of the liberty world. We are called liberty for a reason. We're called liberty because because that is, along with energy, the other thing that allowed us the world we have today. We have the freedom to own property, the freedom to drive a car, the freedom of speech. The, you know, the we have all of these rights and freedoms, uh, and uh, and a wonderful lifestyle as a result of that. The the liberty to enjoy. Uh, uh, the life that we live, but there are a lot of people in the world who don't, and I don't think that sits right with us, at, with anybody at Liberty, that, that we are over here ignoring those challenges in the world that are dramatically impacting people's lives today. We're, we're talking about climate change, which is real. I'm not, I'm not here saying climate change isn't happening, but climate change is a manageable problem, and I think we know and understand that, and the data easily supports that. Uh, 
but we're myopically focused on that at the expense of all of these people who have not yet been lifted out of poverty and, and provided access to a different way of life. And that can't be okay to us. We, 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 we can't sit here and accept that that's going to be the outcome for the rest of the world. It's, it's just not right. So my friends call me the hippie capitalist because I was, I was uh, adopted a highway by myself in 2004, not a company, but me. Uh, I've actually been a plant-based vegan for 14 years, and I MC the Bakken barbecue every year. So I hid that I was a you know this plant-based vegan guy because I don't like vegans; they annoy me. I just oh so anyway, I, a lot of this was was due to method journalism, and it was had to do with just a lot my path of life, you know, and just doing things that made sense to me. I recycled because it made sense to me. And so when I actually started this crude life, we were an investigative against oil and gas because of the framework I had leading up to this. I'm not from oil and gas, I'm from ag. And I truly believe what's happening right now is that the oil and gas workers being replaced by the light switch in the same way that the grocery store replaced the farmer, okay? Right. I believe there's very similar things here. So, And I, I went through that. And I also went through the internet replacing all the old media because that's what I came out of was the old media, okay? A real paradigm shift too. So anyway, getting back to uh, my original point, which I, I've pretty much forgotten at this point, but... Uh, what was I talking about there? Anyway, uh, the, the farmer one and the, uh, uh, shoot, I do this every now and then where I just do <laughs> so many things going on. So I got to edit this interview too. I got to write down 30. I, I, I'll, I'll throw in there while you're thinking about that. Uh, um, you know, probably the other reason to do this to your point about the whole journalism question is, is just to make sure that the facts were out there. So if you, you know, if you look through the ESG report, we, we work very, very hard to make it a fact-based document. It, you know, you hear a conversation, for example, that extreme weather is getting worse. Well, that's not true, and the data doesn't support that in any way, shape, or form. If you look at, uh, if you look at tornado frequency, if you look at uh, uh, hurricane energy arriving on uh, on land in the U.S. or or even globally, there are not upward trends to these things. In fact, uh, they, they are flat, and in in some cases even down. And so, it it was part of our goal was to make sure that facts were out there reference facts you can you can look these things up we put a we put a reference to every piece of data in there that we uh, that we quoted but but uh, to provide to people that information those facts to be able to have an honest conversation with somebody because unfortunately if you're relying on a lot of the media today the very first sentence you'll read is extreme weather uh, caused by oil and gas and and uh, there's just not data to support that and, and so we have to we have to put the facts out there. And there've been a lot of there've been a lot of great work in this area. You know, Michael Schellenberger, Apocalypse Never, uh, Bjorn Lomberg, False Alarm, uh, 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 Steve Coonan just came out with his book Unsettled. And so there 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 have been some folks who are standing up and recognizing that uh, we have to try to get the facts back out there because that's that's not happening today. And and this report was was intended to do exactly that. Investigative reporting, that's what I was getting back to. All right, so I remember what I was talking about. So when I first started The Crude Life, because of the framework I had my whole life that the oil and gas industry was killing the planet, right, and babies and everything else, we okay, I, I worked at KFGO, which was the number one radio station for three years, and they were we, we had been number one for 40 years in the region. I had just come off of two national awards in three years. I cannot stand working for a place that, you know, like, 
I'm an entrepreneur. I, I had to be on my own. I couldn't stand in an office all day and this and that. So I went out to the oil field to cover a story and fell in love with the entrepreneurship. So I'm like, oh, I got to get out there. The siren song of the Bakken was calling, right? <laughs> so we bought a food truck, sight unseen, off from a church group out of Staples, Minnesota. And we did a we did our crude life show from the food truck, right? And we were going to do hard news, investigative, all this stuff like that. Well, because I'm a method journalist, and that's how I became plant-based, by the way, was after three weeks of doing the plant-based, I had so many things happen, I never looked back. So when I spent two, three weeks out in the Bakken, I realized that I was wrong. And I got really angry at myself. And then I got angry at the environmentalists and the school system and the whole education system that put a framework into my head. Again, I came from farming, so I know firsthand what a balance sheet looks like of pros and cons, all right? Absolutely. Farming has got a lot of access. It was the number one dangerous industry for a long time. And there were deaths that were never even counted. Tractor rollovers was an auto accident. Oh, no. My, like, I lost neighbors growing up. There were a spring would go out an auger, and all of a sudden they'd bleed out in 30 seconds before anybody even know it, and they'd be in the barn for two days. I mean, things like that would happen all the time. But the local paper would never report that. Hmm. Never. So I come from that side of things, right? So I get shit happens. Let's just call it that, right? So I got mad. And then I went, oh, I'm going to start promoting the industry with good, positive news because there's more than enough to go around. I don't have to get into that politics. Everybody else is doing that, including Sports Center and The View. You can't even click on a show nowadays without somebody getting polarizing political. So we said we're going to be non-political. Okay, look at what oil and gas is doing for the Native American communities. It's empowering people. It's not just paying a job like the casino. No, it's creating jobs on Main Street. Is it? You got MHA Nation doing the secretary to the chemist to the to the rig to the to the roustabouts. They all are going to be Native American, if not already. Mm-hmm. The administrators, everybody. That's incredible empowerment. Okay, we're trying to create generational wealth, not just a one-time shot, right? So I started seeing those stories. I started seeing the innovation, which blew my mind. And I'm going, oh my God, the oil and gas is the leader in the environmental movement. So we started doing that, right? Well, then a little bit later on, I read a book by Alton Chase called uh, Something with Yellowstone. Alton Chase, and he did an amazing job just showing how we're destroying Yellowstone. Raw sewage being pumped out. And I went, okay, we almost extinct the wolves. We almost extinct the elf, elk. We almost took out the native flora and fauna because we let the environmentalists run the show. We gave them free reign, and they don't know what they're doing. Industry needs to solve another problem. We, and we did. We stepped in in a, in a different way. We did it through contractors and everything else. Someone else got the credit, but industry did the work at the end of the day, right? So I got angry at that too. And then I started going more and more and I started looking at this and I'm going, okay, now we got to get to the next level of really figuring out a way to connect here. And so we're starting to go back more with some of our journalism, but more from the environmental side to say, okay, look at all the ways they've been screwing up the planet here. And look at how oil and gas is starting to be the solution. In the same way, industry made fire possible. Okay, before before industry came along, people had to wait for lightning strike and then go have somebody watch a flame. That was probably what a hundred years until somebody figured out how to make a flame eternal through industry. Well, then the wheel came next. 
industry makes things better and better. And I believe industry is going to save the environment one more time. I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but I did want to point out that this can become a very passionate project for a lot of different people. And with the crude life, we've gone through different evolutions and different journeys. But at the end of the day, I do think what we need to do is we need diversity, we need inclusion, and we need to just, our motto now going forward is everyday energy for everyday people. And that's the only way we can figure out that's going to connect with people. So I don't even know if there's a question in there. I just, uh, our journey has been kind of this up and down passion and trying to shake off this old framework because our whole life has been basically that oil and gas is evil. And then when you work in the industry, you find out really quickly it's not. There goes a Frackleberry Hound there, our mascot. But what's your reaction on how we're handling outside of the industry? Because you guys are actually breaking through now. I, I, I think I think you made a lot of good points there. I, <laughs> you know, I think... Um, well, I, as, I said a lot, so I hope I made one. <laughs> you know, we... As we think about energy, that's it's an important part of our world, and it and it and it is it's what enables who we are today and the and the life that we live. And we have a lot of people who who deserve that uh, same opportunity. And so, you know, to your point of energy for the people, that's that's what we need to be about. And and I think if you study the story in detail, it becomes very clear that oil and gas are very good for the environment. If if you are if you don't have access to reliable electricity. LPG for your stove or something like that. You are outside cutting down trees, collecting grass and and burning sticks and dung uh, to heat your home and to cook food for your family. That's incredibly polluting to the atmosphere. If you're worried about emissions, true pollution in the atmosphere, your first goal ought to be trying to move those people who are today cooking over a fire, uh, an open fire, to cooking over LPG. It's easily easily packageable, easily transportable, and very very clean. And and that there's a huge step forward for the environment. Not to mention those people. You know, I, th- I think the number is about seven million people a year die from uh, particulate matter pollution. Uh, three and a half million of those from indoor air pollution, cooking over uh, fires like that, and the rest from outdoor pollution, where you know they are still burning down forests to clear cropland because if you haven't reached a place where you've achieved the same kind of crop yields we have. To, to feed a growing population, you, you they need to they need to access more and more and more land, and so uh, energy is not access to uh, modern energy is not a negative for the environment. It's absolutely a positive. It means that rainforests get to continue to grow. It means that people have access to clean water. It means they're not burning sticks and dung and and uh, uh, polluting the atmosphere with that smoke. And 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 so I, I think the story is very compelling for the good of energy in the environment and certainly the good for humanity so well i folks i do apologize if it sounded like i was tiptoeing in that last question trying to gain my thoughts because i had a dog running one way i had a, somebody at the booth trying to signal me and trying to keep my interview going and we're here at the permian basin association of pipeliners booth and boy they got it busy today as i'm starting to see the ice being put into that plastic container that's going to hold beverages of some kind imagine a barley pop or two a little bit later on will be in there but I, I did I do want to bring in the third thing where I got mad because there was three things there was the the when I felt like I got lied to against my 
education system with the way that the fossil fuel industry came. The second one was when I read Elton Chase's book, Alton Chase's book uh, with Yellowstone. The third is where we're at now, and that is that I believe your elected officials that are winning this narrative battle are more concerned about the future than they are about the problems today. And what Mr. Gusick is talking about are real problems today. We have people that are dying every day of starvation, of heat. These are real problems that we have not solved the homeless problem here today, and now they want us to give up our liberty and our rights for a problem that they don't have any scientific proof for in 20 years. If you think the science is sound, let's see it in five years. Because I can tell you what, if I drop this crude life stainless steel tumbler off of this building and I send that question thesis out to 100 scientists across the world and ask how quickly it's going to hit the ground, they're going to all give me an answer within a microsecond. Some of them might ask, oh, what's the wind velocity? What's this and that? What's the air barometer? And we'll have all that information. But they will be able to give me a precise answer all within just a couple little decimals of each other. When it comes to the climate or the weather, there isn't any, any that can predict it in a year, five years, 10 years. Now you're going to tell me what it's going to be like in 20 or 100 years? It ain't, I ain't buying it, folks. I ain't buying it. So what I got upset about is it reminded me of what happened with, remember malaria and DDT? So, which is really interesting about this whole DDT thing was they did a lot of science behind DDT to where they actually fed it to prisoners. And there was, like, not as bad as they made it out to be. There was some uh, birds that were having problems with their shells. Well, it turned out that scientist actually fudged the data, and that never got as reported. Well, the bigger picture was is that we kind of let DDT go by the wayside. And I don't know, uh, care about that. What I do care about is 28 million people died the next year of malaria outside of the U.S. Right. Okay. That pissed me off a lot because... We have real problems here today, but it's almost like as soon as our life gets good, we kind of kick the can down and start worrying about future problems and turn our back on the problems of today. And, folks, that is a real deal. And, and go ahead and take a look at the history behind that. And DDT is something that's very controversial, and that's why I did bring it up. No, I, it, it's, it, I think you make a good point. We, you know, we basically eradicated malaria from the U.S. Yeah. It was a terrible problem in Russia, but it's eradicated there. But I, and I may get the number wrong, but I still think today a million people a year die from malaria it, uh, over in Africa. Ah, yeah, right. Uh, in, in, and Probably it's because South America too. But. You know, we've we don't have the problem here anymore, so we're not we're not we're not worried about it so much, and and as a result, are focused on other things, but have taken away. Uh, a solution that could eradicate that problem elsewhere and we are we are putting ourselves in a position where we're going to do the same thing in the energy industry where you know we have uh, we are making decisions here that are going to take away the opportunity elsewhere in the world because it's not my backyard so i I don't have to worry about it and and i and i do think that's unfortunate so i you know I, i i applaud you for continuing to move this narrative forward to put it out there in the public because we have to find a way to make sure that we are we are making decisions in the much broader context of the well-being of humanity, not just what's good for uh, uh, for my backyard. Well, I do appreciate you coming on the program here. I appreciate the access, talking about the things that you've got going on. Congratulations on the electric frack, Generation 1, Generation 2. Good luck with those. 
congratulations on the ESG report as more of an awareness report than anything. It's This is why I like this one. I, Meridian Energy Group, they had to put out ESG reports primarily for investors. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Crestwood, they're doing it primarily for public relations, shareholder reaction, that sort of thing. You guys are doing it more for an industry educational standpoint. So I'm really enjoying this, actually, that there's these different angles that people are taking. And it's just good news in the end because it's getting a hold of the narrative they want to get a hold of instead of a 16-year-old, now 18-year-old girl who's really been running roughshod across the industry the last few years. And I hate to say that, but it's true. I I don't understand it, but it's true. Um, Appreciate you coming on and understanding about the passion I have for the industry and also my last one, which is, folks, let's really focus on today and not tomorrow. I know we have to look at tomorrow, but we do have real problems today. He mentioned the NIMBY. I'd love to have you back to talk about NIMBY sometime or somebody within your organization because Colorado is ground zero for NIMBY. It started in L.A. when they built a school, a fake school around these these, these wells. You remember that? Yep. They were building fake-looking schools around well sites. Well, that's what they're doing in Colorado now, basically, with just walls. And I think that's the blueprint, the Colorado blueprint, because Washington's starting to look at that. I see Pennsylvania's got some rumblings there. Two states are now looking at putting the Colorado bill on their ballot next year. So we need to continue this talk. We need to move the conversation ahead with solutions and ideas, because guess what, folks? We don't have the solutions. All we have is some ideas and some resources to try to make it work and electric frack is the way to do it the 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 esg is another way to do it uh so appreciate you coming on talking about that a little bit and the that's why i wanted to bring up the nimby thing because not in my backyard is something we dealt with at uh, kfgo for years with the wind turbines we had so many farmers calling in saying we don't want these on our property they kill bats and birds they help us with it, there's like an actual economic value to bats so anyway um nimby is a hot button issue for me <laughs> can't tell can you <laughs> so i'd love to talk on that any day but how can people support you are you looking for any business what just give yourself a plug out there man let's at least give you a 30 second commercial <laughs> no, I, I mean look for, for for us the the message that we're telling is important I, I i think what would be a win for us is that people pick up that message and and, and carry it on you know i i, I think we're proud of what we're doing for the industry, and there are many others that are doing great work too. But if if you're looking for the right message to give, if you're looking for those facts to share with your neighbor, you can find all that stuff in our ESG report. You can find uh, the videos that we're producing, and there are lots of other great assets out there as well. So certainly, I, 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 our report is long. It's it's 84 pages. It's a bit of work to get through, but there's a lot of good information in there. So. Go to the website, get the report, find some talking points, and have that conversation with somebody in your in your life that isn't on the right side of this uh, argument today, and, and we're all going to be a lot better off for it. That's that's all I can ask. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, more importantly, I appreciate the access, because that's, in today's day and age, I, I think getting access to these oil and gas companies is a step in the right direction of the transparency, even if it's not really saying much. Just the idea of, oh... Oh, they're out there. At least they're taking the questions, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, so that's a good thing. Do you accept gifts or not? Uh, We do. Okay. Uh, I would like to give you one of our Crude Life Travel tumblers here. This is one of those nice, it's a Pelican. It's not a Yeti, but it's the Pelican. Made by Becker Safety out of Colorado, Greeley, Colorado. Nice laser etch there. Very nice. We've got... 
your choice. So if you're going to use it's a 32-ouncer. So these are the people in the car. All right. So if you're a traveling salesman, they're perfect. But uh, what we've got is we've got the sick-looking black one here, but we've also got seafoam green, which is that new kind of color for... I call it more of the feminine one, but I don't know, maybe a guy would like it, whatever. I'm not going to judge. We're not here to judge. But uh, I'd like you to take one of these as a gift. I, and, and if you don't use it, give it to somebody who uses it. They, you know, they're, they're very good at keeping things warm or cool. So, Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. Thank uh, your, you Your much. choice of color, sir. And uh, what's the website one more time? Uh, www.libertyfrac.com. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it, Jason. Thank you so much.